Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Where Pastor Cameron was here, he, he taught through the Pathways series, different ways that you connect with God. Hopefully you really got a lot out of that. I know I did. Um, and then uh, in February, Pastor Mark was down to talk about uh, loving, learning, and leading. Hopefully that was really good as well, three L's. Hopefully I got them right just now. Um, and now we're starting on a new series. This month, Easter is coming. I don't know if you were aware. I don't know if you've been to the grocery store and seen like the Easter stuff out in the aisle, but it is. So is the summer clothes and bathing suits, so go figure. But anyway, <clears throat> I'm excited about this series. We're going to spend the next four weeks talking about one week of the life of Jesus. It, it starts with uh, Palm Sunday. He enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey. They wave palm branches and sing Hosanna and Highest. Um, and then... It goes on to Jesus with his disciples eating the Last Supper, which is a Passover meal. He institutes communion. That's what we're going to talk about today. And then week three, you get or week two, you get um, the Garden of Gethsemane, the prayers of Jesus, and on to the trial before the crucifixion. Week three, you get the crucifixion. And week four, he rises again. Amen. So it's going to be really, really good. Um, so today, like I said, we're going to mainly focus on Last Supper and communion. We're going to take communion together. Um, yeah, should be great, right? Great, great, great. All right, let's see if all the technology is working here. All right, good. So I want to spend a little time introducing the series to you. Why are we doing it? Um, four weeks on it. What are we thinking about? Well, one thing is that Jesus is the focal point of history, so we'll spend a couple minutes talking about that. And then as we get into Last Supper and Communion, we're going to talk about where Jesus said, this is my body, what does that mean? And this is my blood, what did that mean? And uh, I was kind of joking with Shannon before service started, it's, it's kind of like a, a buffet sermon today, right? There's like all these different things, I'm just going to lay out, take the ones you like, Leave the ones you don't, you know, if there's like just mushy green beans, I try not to serve mushy green beans in the message, but you know, you can let it go. And the idea is that when we get done, hopefully something that I said today inspired you, brought you, you know, maybe God will inspire revelation in your mind, in your heart. And then as we take communion, you get the chance to interact with God on whatever that thing or those things were, you know, that's why we're saving communion for the end. So you can say, that point God about blah, blah, blah was amazing. Thank you. Take the bread, take the, the juice. I almost said wine. It's not wine, it's juice. All right, so that's the goal. Here's a picture. I hope you can see it. But when we talk about Jesus as the focal point of history, I thought, man, it'd be nice to have a picture. What does that mean? I wanted to get all sciencey with it. Is that all right? A little nerdiness coming out. I am an engineer, so there's plenty of nerdiness to come out. But anyway, here's a picture of a focal point. The dot on the right is the focal point. There's a lens. That's what creates a focal point. But as we think about human history, right, normally you kind of think straight line, right? Beginning, you know, creation, beginning, and things are going forward. Time marches on do, 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 do. through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, the things we read through our own lives, time marches on. And at first glance, you kind of think of history like that. But I think when we look through the lens, right, in the picture, the lens, of Christianity, of our faith, it brings a focus to history. 
And that point where all things come together is the life of Jesus. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus is where all things come together. And actually, if I could coin a phrase or two, I say that Old Testament history funnels into Jesus. And all of New Testament and all of our lives has fanned out from Jesus because of what he did. He's the focal point of our faith and really everything. God's writing this story called history, and it's got this climactic moment at Jesus. Um, And really, it's kind of cool. I was thinking about that. I'm like, oh, that's great, and I love a good analogy. I'm like, can we take that one step further? And actually, you know, like in the movies, it's like, you know, the... The climactic point, the like cool thing at the end, or the love story that comes together, and they walk off into the sunset, and the movie's over, the credits roll, and you go home. And like God's even better of a storyteller than Hollywood. So like, there's the the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and Hollywood would be be like, that's it. Jesus was played by Jim Caviezel or whoever it was in The Passion, you know. And that's the end of the movie. But Jesus, like God, one ups it. Like it's not. Who knows what happened when they went into the sunset? We're living that. You know, God is writing up more chapters beyond the climactic moment, and it's really, really awesome to be a part of that. All right. So uh, <clears throat> let me catch up my slides here with your slides there. Good, good, good. So what the heck is the gospel of Jesus? What, what happens at this uh, focal point? I thought I'd just share that with you real quick. It may be really, really familiar. The verses I'm about to read, uh, you may have memorized, uh, but maybe not. Um, So let's take a second to pause. You know, God created us, created people for relationship with him. And we read in Genesis about the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve walked with God, talked with God. They had this close relationship. And sin corrupted that. Sin brought separation from God. And from that point on, life's been different. I haven't walked with God in the garden face-to-face physically. Um, It's because of sin. It's because of that corruption that came. And so Paul lays out for us the plan of God in Romans. It's called the Romans Road. You could Google that if you want, if you don't know it. But in Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So each one of us has our own sin in addition to that beginning of sin with Adam and Eve. Um, And that's what brings separation. And it says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that was his plan. That's why it is the focal point. You know, we had this separation from God, but God made a way for us to be reconnected with him, a way to handle what sin earns, which is death and separation. Um, You know, God is just, and uh, justice would demand that you don't let people off the hook, right? Like, how would you like it if you went to a trial, say someone hurt um, my wife or my son sitting here in the first row, and we go to trial, and the judge is like, you know what, it's all right, don't worry about it. Don't do it again. I'd be pretty upset. I'd be like, that is not justice, (laughs) right? And yet God is loving. So there's a, there's a justice side of God which says you can't leave sin unpunished. That's just wrong. But there's a loving side of God which says, you know what, Bill has sinned, but I love him. I want him to have another chance. You know? And so Jesus took the penalty for our sins so we don't have to experience it, and yet sin can be punished and God can still be just. Um, and in Romans 5.8 it says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And so that's what he's doing. And then in Romans 10, it talks about how do you receive salvation. It says if we, conf- if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And so this is kind of a quick way to just run down what God is doing in, in reconnecting with people. It's through the death and resurrection of Jesus that that happens. Are you familiar with that? Good. If you've not experienced that, I encourage you to do so. It's as, it really is as simple as confessing with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believing that God raised him from the dead and starting a personal relationship with God. Your personal history can have that focal point where you are saved, where you start a relationship with God, and your whole life can fan out from there to amazing things. You know, once saved, it begins a journey with God, and there are many chapters yet to write, and it's really great. I encourage you to do that if you haven't. All right. So um, that Old Testament history, I probably shouldn't spend a lot of time on this because I'm a yacker and I don't, I don't have all day. I don't want to keep you all day. You'll be hungry in a little while. There's good snacks afterwards. You can enjoy those. But um, some of that Old Testament stuff that funnels into Jesus, there's all kinds of real-life people living their lives, but they're recorded in the Old Testament. And it gives all this imagery that, that then we see played out in the life of Jesus, we can go back to and draw from to get more knowledge, more understanding of what Jesus was up to, what he was doing when he came and lived and died and rose again. Um, And then another thing that we get is all of these Old Testament prophecies, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus lived, people um, prophesied about what the Messiah, what Jesus Christ was going to be like, what he was going to do. And I just, I threw a few of them in here. I don't want to spend a ton of time on them. But you could scribble them if you want, and then your notes to read in more detail later. You know, it talks about the virgin birth in Isaiah. Your king comes riding on a donkey. That's talking about Palm Sunday in Zechariah. There's tons of stuff in Psalms. In 22, it talks about the cast lots for my garments. That's what the Roman soldiers did while Jesus was hanging on the cross. You know, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me when he's on the cross? And that comes right out of Psalms, hundreds of years before it was written. Isaiah 53 is an amazing chapter, and we'll come back to it a little more later. It talks all about what the Messiah would do, what Jesus would do. You know, and one little piece of it says he was pierced for our transgressions. And then in Psalm 16, it says, You will not let your Holy One see decay, or another uh, translation. You won't let your Holy One rot in the grave. We know that Jesus didn't. He died, but he rose again, according to the Scriptures, as the Nicene Creed goes. We'll read that together later. So there's all this prophecy pointing to Jesus. He's the focal point of history, the focal point of our faith, and what we get to talk about all month. So it's going to be good. I love a good intro. Hopefully you do too, because we just spent some time on an introduction. (laughs) But the Last Supper, what we're here to talk about today is the Last Supper. Um, This is um, where Jesus got together with his disciples while he was living with his disciples three and a half years, doing all kinds of amazing things. But then there's this week where they come into Jerusalem for to celebrate the Festival of Unleavened Bread or celebrate the Passover, which was a Jewish tradition for hundreds of years. And um, the Last Supper is when they actually go to the table. They eat a lamb for Passover. And, uh, and this is where he takes the bread and the, and the wine that's why we have bread and juice. We're just going to kind of break down some of this stuff. Like I said, a la carte, hopefully something is inspiring to you. Grab onto that. If it feels a little scattered, don't worry about it. Just grab onto the one thing or the two things that um, 
you find really meaningful, uh, and that'll be terrific. Um, yeah, so what the heck was Passover? If you, if you remember, or if you don't know, um, the nation of Israel got big when they were in Egypt. There were tons and tons and tons of these Israelites. They're like rabbits multiplying in Egypt. And uh, the pharaohs were like, man, they're a threat to our kingdom. Let's put them into forced labor. And so the nation of Israel was in forced labor. It was not great. They called out to God, and you have Moses rises up. He kind of goes before Pharaoh and says, hey, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no way. And then God does these ten plagues. And the last one was the death of the firstborn. All the firstborn um, of Egypt were killed, and that was the thing that finally got Pharaoh to the point where he said, all right, you can go. And then they go through the wilderness, they go to the promised land and all of that. But they did, there's something interesting there. Uh, Moses told all the people of Israel, hey, the angel of the Lord's coming tonight. He's going to kill all the firstborn, and the way that you'll be protected is if you take a spotless lamb and you kill it, you spread the blood on the doorposts, you go in, uh, you get all the leaven out of your house, you eat unleavened bread, you eat this lamb, just enough for you and your family or your neighbor if they're joining you, if you have a small family, and uh, you eat this lamb together, and then you go to bed. They go to bed, they wake up the next morning just like another day, not so for all the Egyptians, crying, wailing, firstborns are dead, and then off they go, uh, led by a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and on to the Promised Land. So Passover was a big deal. There's all these Old Testament books written by Moses where they commemorate that by celebrating it every year at a certain time, doing a certain thing, get all the leaven out of your house for a week, eat unleavened bread, and then on the Passover, eat that lamb again, put that blood on the doorpost to remember. So that's the context of what Jesus is up to with his disciples. They're coming into the city of Jerusalem, like we said, the palm branches waving. And then uh, some of his disciples had gone ahead to a room that they borrowed, rented, whatever. Uh, and they got the lamb ready and they sit down to eat that together. And that's where this verse picks up. So let's just read about the account of the Last Supper together. And we'll talk about it a little bit more. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations to eat the Passover? And he replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. Then in verse 20 it says, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And in 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. All right. So there they are. They're eating Passover. Jesus institutes this tradition that we follow to this day. Um, and in another place he says, you know, do this in remembrance of me. It's a tradition of remembering Jesus, looking back at that focal point. We eat bread, we drink juice or wine maybe in some places. 
um, and it's to remember. So I just wanted to give you a few pictures of what, is, what does that Passover lamb mean? What does that bread mean? What does that juice mean um, <clears throat> before we take communion together today? So the first thing, uh, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. And so there's kind of this mixture. Some scholars kind of talk about how it's a shift from the Old Testament tradition of Passover into the New Testament tradition of communion. And so you've got the Passover lamb in the old tradition, the bread in the new. So I just wanted to kind of give you pictures from both of those because Jesus' body kind of represents both. And in the, in the lamb, it's, that's pretty real. I mean, they killed a lamb and they're eating the lamb. It's a very physical thing. And here we have God in the flesh. You know, it reminds us when we picture what they were eating, what they were celebrating, that our God is not a distant God. He's not some celestial spirit far away, but he was God in the flesh. He became a man just like we are. He lived life. He stubbed his toe, you know. He got frustrated. He felt the emotions we feel, you know. He, uh, whatever, whatever you're going through, he went through similar things. He came to this earth um, to reconnect us with God. And that's pretty amazing. In John 1, um, it says the Word, with a capital W meaning Jesus, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And that's so important. It's right in the beginning of the Gospel of John because he wants to point out to us Jesus is the Word of God, the expression of God in the flesh. That's super Super awesome. The clock on the wall is not accurate. So I'm going to grab this just so I know where I'm at. Oh, maybe it is. Maybe it is accurate. <laughs> anyway. Yeah? Thank you, Pat. I appreciate it. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so it's so, it's so cool to me that, uh, that God is not far off, but he's close at hand that he was willing to humble himself and come to this earth. And it reminds me of the verse in Philippians 2. I just wanted to read it to you. It's one of my favorites in all of Scripture. So let's look at it. It says, "...in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who be, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness." And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That verse will preach right there, won't it? And I just slipped it in. It's tough. Tough to keep moving, but we'll have to keep moving. You know, that verse sums it up. That's one you could go, if you're, if you're an intellectual pathway, you can go and study on that one for a good long time. You know, that's a life verse for me, one I just keep coming back to and back to. Especially if I get a little, like, I'm the man, you know what? I'm the man. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Jesus was the man and he humbled himself. I can do that too. I need to do that too. Um, and there's so many angles there, but... God in the flesh is what we're talking about. God in the flesh. He was willing to humble himself, leave the right hand of God, 
come and go through what he went through for us. All right, another picture. They're sitting there eating lamb, lamb chops, right? Yum. And, uh, And Jesus says, this is my body. So there's this comparison of the body of Jesus that's about to be broken. It's about to be crucified. He's about to shed his own blood. And there's that lamb. And what is that a picture of? You know, there's lots of places in Scripture that, can, that call Jesus the Lamb of God. And I just put two in here. When John the Baptist sees Jesus coming out, he goes, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or in NIV, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Isaiah 53 is that chapter that just talks all about what, what the Christ, what the Messiah is going to be like. And one piece of it, it says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And we see that play out in Jesus. In the coming weeks, maybe one of the speakers will talk about that. But he comes before Pilate. He's on trial. You know, the high priests are accusing him of all this stuff. And he's amazingly quiet in the face of all that accusation. And, And it's coming from that prophecy. That prophecy points to that. So the Passover lamb, the blood on the doorpost and the, and the spotless lamb was a protection from um, the judgment of God that was being, you know, featured <laughs> in all of Egypt, right? The lamb was protection from judgment, and Jesus is our protection from judgment that we deserve. Remember, the wages of sin, we've all sinned, and the wages of sin is death, but there's protection from that justice of God. He's still just but you don't have to bear the weight of that judgment on your own because Jesus did it for you, you know? That wage that we've all earned is not something we could pay back. We are not capable of paying back the debt that we owe, but Jesus was. And that Passover lamb is a picture of Jesus taking that for us. That is awesome. Another similar picture is the sin offering. If you go back to... Leviticus. Who loves to read Leviticus? Yeah. Preach it, brother. (laughs) There's good stuff in there. You you never know what little nuggets you're going to find in Leviticus, uh, reading through the law. But there's this sin offering, right? It's in Leviticus 4. You can look it up later, but I just kind of summarized the bullet points here for you. Basically, when in the Old Testament, when they sinned, they bring an animal and uh, it's the sin offering, and they lay their hands on it, either like the, if the community sinned in some way, all the elders of the community will lay their hands on this animal. You know, if the priest had sinned, he'd lay his hand on the animal. And it's kind of, as they lay their hands on his head, it's that transference. It's saying, my sin is now not my sin, it's on this animal. And they kill it. And then uh, the priest does his priestly thing with that and I won't get into all of it. I'm not smart enough for all the theology of that. But the priest makes atonement, makes uh, makes up for those sins by doing what they do with that animal in the sin offering. And then the person or the people or the, the nation is forgiven because of that sin offering. And we'll get into another detail about it later when we talk about the blood and the juice, but it's forgiveness of sin. Jesus as our sin offering, as a perfect, not just an animal, that we'd have to come back again and again with another animal every time we sin. Jesus is this perfect sin offering once and for all, once for all people, once for all your sin, it's done, and his atonement is made for us. 
There's all these pictures of Jesus as a he's the, he's the lamb being sacrificed. He's the sin offering. He's the Passover lamb. He's also the priest. He's compared to priests in the order of Melchizedek. Go look that one up. But he's making our atonement with his own blood, with his own body. And that's awesome. It's really, really awesome. All right. So that's all, that's all lamb stuff. That's all uh, sacrifice stuff. What about the bread? Let's get to the bread. So this is my body. Remember, he took the bread and he, he had given thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body. And now we're kind of talking about our New Testament tradition. We don't, we don't have a lamb. We won't have a lamb on Good Friday here. We won't slaughter the lamb and sprinkle blood. But every month, we take and we eat the bread in remembrance of Jesus, just as he instituted at this time. So what does the bread represent? Remember, it was unleavened bread. And so leaven throughout Scripture is a representation of sin. There's a place in one of the New Testament letters where I'm going to guess Paul was talking about it. I didn't look up the reference. He says a little bit of leaven works through the whole dough. And it's kind of this picture that if you're not careful, if you don't guard your life, a little bit of sin can kind of take over your whole life. And there's all these other examples that you can look up. And so in the practice of Passover, they would get the leaven out of their house the whole week, and they would eat unleavened bread. And it's a picture, when Jesus says, this is me, that's, this bread is me, it's a picture of his sinless life. Right? It reminds us that he lived without sin to become that perfect sacrifice. And then bread is really meaningful. Um, in the Old Testament, times long ago, before there was a bullseye marketplace with everything you could ever want. Bread was, was life. Bread was provision. Bread was sustenance, right? And uh, so Jesus is again comparing what I'm doing here in the body, God in the flesh, what you're going to see hanging on the cross tomorrow, what you're going to see raised from the dead, walk out of that tomb, is life and provision to you. It is your life and provision. And it calls back to Deuteronomy, who loves Deuteronomy? <laughs> Preach! <laughs> In Deuteronomy 8.3, says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And there's so much to learn from this and bread, and we can't get into all of it. But when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, they're like, we got nothing to eat. Take us back to Egypt. I want to be a slave, but eat good. Crazy. But anyway, God gave them manna. Every day, bread showed up on the ground. All they had to do was go out and pick it up and eat it. Take and eat it. Right? And God provided for them everything that they needed and two portions worth on Saturday so they didn't have to go collect it on the Sabbath. Just in case you thought it was a physical phenomenon and not God, Double on Saturday, none on Sunday. Crazy. Okay, Jesus, his body, this is my body, this bread is my body, coming down from heaven, just like manna came from heaven to feed you, something that you could live on. And, and it's so cool that way back in the Old Testament, this was done so you would know that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord Remember in John 1, Jesus was referred to with a capital W as the Word of God, the expression of God. You know, and he used this very verse when he was tempted by Satan. You know, he's hungry, 40 days of fasting. He says, hey, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He's saying, hey, I'm on a mission, Satan. (laughs) 
not, eating bread right now is not as important to me as being the expression of God on this earth. I'm here to accomplish something. I'm here to restore relationship between me and the Father and these people, you know, and there's so much more, so much more to that. But we got to keep moving because I'm a talker. What about the blood? We got to get to some blood. Have you ever heard the term cut covenant? As I read about it a little bit, and again, I'm not an expert. Forgive me if I get a detail wrong and you are an expert. But there's this practice in ancient days, apparently, of, uh, hey man, let's make a promise to each other, a really solemn, serious promise, and uh, you cut your arm, I'll cut mine, and we'll just take a little sip of each other's blood. Mmm, who's hungry now? We want a donut. <laughs> But it was this solemn promise, and it was like, I looked up some stuff about it, and it was like a bond of life fellowship where the, the mingling of blood was deemed essential. There's a quote for you, right? And so it was this idea that, hey, I'm so serious about this, I'll shed my blood to show you how serious I am about the promise that I'm making to you. Okay? <clears throat> oh, I forgot to read this. Just in case we forgot. Remember the Last Supper? Jesus took the cup. Gave thanks, gave to them, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. And some manuscripts have new. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is making a covenant, and he's so serious about it, he'll spill his blood. And he didn't just like take a little bit. Here, have a little, you know, take a drop. I need the rest. He spilled it all. You remember when he gets pierced in the side and blood and water pours out? He spilled all his blood for us to make a promise that said, you know what? Your sins truly are forgiven. You truly can have a relationship with God. I am God in the flesh, and I'll pour it all out for you. And you know what's interesting is um, I am not encouraging anyone to cut their arm, <laughs> to make a promise with each other or a promise with God. He doesn't require that. And you know what? Even if you did, even if Jesus in the flesh walked up, do you think a drop of your blood is equivalent to a drop of his? I don't think mine is. Mine's not worthy. It's a free gift. He'll pour out all of his blood for us and not require back a drop of ours. You know, all he wants is you in relationship with him. He wants you to, to be a follower of him for your whole life, to live life with him. Um, so anyways, cut covenant. Cool, right? Cool. I'm glad I do not have to suck on somebody's blood when I make them a promise. And even better, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Amen. Amen to that. All right. So we talked about this a little more, but in the context of blood, the forgiveness of sins, right? We talked about the Passover lamb, and they would spread the blood on the doorpost of their house, and then the angel of the Lord that came and killed all the firstborn in Egypt did not... Um, did not kill them. But then also the sin offering, we come back to that. And um, <clears throat> it was really cool. The sin offering in the Old Testament, they do what they do and they get a bowl of blood and the priest would go in to the curtain that separates where the presence of God was at and the people and sprinkle the blood seven times. Go back to Leviticus 4 and you can check if I got any details wrong about that. But this idea I thought was really cool that here we are at the place in the Old Testament where the very presence of God resided in that inner part of the tabernacle. 
or the temple, and, uh, and they would sprinkle the blood right there at that point that separated God from man. That is a cool picture of where the blood of Jesus is applied for our lives, the place where sin has separated us from God, where we used to have to live separate from God is where that blood gets applied. And you know that curtain where the blood gets sprinkled in the sin offering is a thing that when Jesus rises from the dead, tore in two from top to bottom. You know, it's a symbol to show us that the blood of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, had the power to break down any barrier between us and God. And that's amazing. Really, really cool. All right. I'll end with this. And then Luke's going to come and lead us in communion. But I wanted to read for you, uh, it's another prophecy, it's from Jeremiah, and it talks about the new covenant. So I wanted to share with you some of the new covenant promises um, that we get out of uh, what Jesus did for us. So it's in Jeremiah 31. It says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This, the new covenant now he's talking about, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Isn't that awesome? That's what God was up to with all of this history that funneled into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that history that fans out from what Jesus did, which is you and me and all who believe in him, is this. It's living knowing the Lord. You don't have to go to a priest to connect you with God. You don't have to go to a priest to translate the stone tablets or scrolls for you. You have a Bible available to you. You have the very Word of God. You have the three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit available to you because of what Jesus did. He does not hold your sin against you. You're forgiven completely, past, present, and future, if you just Accept what Jesus did. Accept that free gift like we saw in the Romans road at the beginning. So is that good? I hope so. I hope you ate well at this little a la carte buffet of a message. All right. The kids are coming back to have communion with us, it looks like, and Luke is going to lead us in that. Would you welcome him?